Greetings, Internet. I'm John Bailey, and on this week's episode of Popcorn Junkie, I'll be taking a look at the somehow divisive Sonic the Hedgehog movie, the Bloomhouse reimagining of Fantasy Island, the uh, black-centric romance drama The Photograph, and the latest from the folks behind The Descendants, Downhill. Let's get started. Let's go! This is my power, and I'm using it to protect my friends. Let's go! Let's go! So, you're supposed to be Tom's best friend that he won't shut up about. Well, I don't see the appeal. That is very gross! Let's go! You know, you wouldn't think Sonic the Hedgehog of all things... I mean, the Sonic fandom has been an entire, like, train wreck for decades now. Like, it's not... I mean, if you've been on the internet, you know about the insanity behind the Sonic fandom. But on Twitter, the the big thing I'm seeing is, like, Sonic the Hedgehog being tied into weird reactionary thoughts about how the critics are against us... And then people say, then like one guy I'm following is went on entire tirades of corporate, you know, people should stop being consumers because that's a big thing that, you know, <laughs> that uh, Cinema Robert, as, a, as he so loves to be called, uh, made popular. It, it's like, it's just a stupid family movie based on a video game. Like everybody just needs to calm down. Um, I don't know who brought it up first, but someone made the connection that starting around 2016 or so, when, um, when, when things became so toxic politically that it started to spread into the pop culture zeitgeist and people started to really incorporate, you know, pop culture figures and franchises into their political beliefs and into their, Things that then the pop culture became the newest battleground for the culture wars. People who are much further to the right versus people on the left, and like this thing represents my ideology, whereas this thing represents my ideology. And it's like people are decrying The Last Jedi as an SJW propaganda piece, and then you know, then all of a sudden these lines in the sand get drawn by people who take pop culture way too seriously when it's all. Yes, it is all stupid consumer uh, products to be distributed by mega corporations for our, you know, for their uh, betterment. But that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy things anymore because they're made by corporations. It's like, yes, ev the way things are, everything is going to be made by a corporation. There is literally nothing out there that isn't made with some company's logo splattered all over it and paid by some people with more, some, you know, paid by people with more money than you will ever see in your lifetime. But does that mean we're not allowed to enjoy things anymore? Because that's the thing. I enjoyed this movie. It's not amazing, but comparatively, compared to the Out of the Chickmunks movie, the Smurfs, and all those other stupid thing comes to New York and oh, fish out of water stories. It's like, this isn't too bad. This isn't as bad as some of those others have been. Like, I would watch this uh, before I would watch Masters of the Universe again, because that, that was even worse than this. But I think the problem was there's just so much... 
behind this movie. Like, I could do a whole discussion piece on the treatment of the animation studio that did the redesigns for Sonic, and it's been revealed by people who worked on the film that nobody wanted the original Sonic design except the executives at Paramount. They were dead set on making Sonic look more realistic. And nobody wanted that. And then the backlash came from the trailer and the executives realized they were wrong and they tried to, and they forced a studio who had done amazing CG work on both the Jungle Book and the Lion King to, to, um, to redesign and reanimate all the scenes with Sonic in them. And then they subsequently had to close down that studio. So it's there's the the this happened again. This is the, this is the same thing that happened to the folks who animated the animals in Life of Pi because they were also screwed over by the system, and then nobody talked about it. So there's a whole discussion piece to be had on the treatment of animation studios in Hollywood. But I think the I think people are just using an innocuous, really average family movie as the battleground for their ideologies the culture war has infiltrated everything and everything is about waging the culture war and at some point you just get tired of it like sometimes you just you just wanna enjoy a silly family movie and you can't because then enjoying it means you support how the animation studio was treated and then you're building it you're a consumer you know in quotes with double o's in them so you you're part of the problem except there is no ethical consumption under capitalism like this is like i thought are we not on the same page here there is no ethical consumption under capitalism because we there's nothing a consumer can do to affect real change systemic change needs to be fought you know government you know using governments the only other entity that can take on corporations it's like you can't rein in corporations as individuals. You have to, you, there has to be legislation in place to, to rein them in. That's what happened the last time corporations got too big and, F, and not FDR, um, Teddy Roosevelt had to be the one to kind of rein them in. Like, this is a discussion that, ha that should have nothing to do with freaking Sonic the Hedgehog and yet here we are. We've made Sonic the Hedgehog the battleground for consumerism and the mistreatment of the animation studio in Hollywood and people, you know, corporations ruining everything and adapting all of the things to make to make movies and the branding branding is everything. How you know we can't have any new ideas anymore. It's just oh my god, these arguments. The discourse has been poisoned. The discourse has been poisoned. We can't have the discourse anymore. It is dead. The discourse is dead. We have killed it. We cannot have the discourse anymore. Anyway, uh, all that, now that I've gotten all that out of the way, let's talk about the actual freaking movie for a change. And Sonic the Hedgehog is, in fact, an average family movie. Like, I think it's better because Ben Schwartz and Jim Carrey kind of elevated to a point where it's not the... Like, the problem with Sonic the Hedgehog is everything besides Sonic the Hedgehog. Like, if they had literally just focused on Sonic and Robotnik, 
done away with James Marsden, done away with the whole coming to coming to Earth plot. I mean, coming to Earth is not a big deal because um, they've done that. Like, Mobius is supposedly Earth 3,000 years in the future, and then there's been various other entity ed- ed- entries in the Sonic uh, franchise where Sonic is on Earth. Uh, Sonic X, the anime uh, from a, from like the mid two thousand from the uh, aughts, is um, was set on Earth, I think in like Japan or something, and yeah. So I mean, like Sonic being on Earth isn't the problem. It's following the exact formula of oh, X comes to Earth and it's wacky fish out of water adventures, and it's like we don't really need that. But at the same point. You can't deny that there was real thought put into it because there's a point in the beginning of the movie where Sonic literally deals with his crushing loneliness and that's what causes the, um, the, uh, what's it called? What's it called in, uh, storytelling? The, uh, inciting, the inciting incident. The inciting incident is caused by Sonic's sheer crushing loneliness and it's really touching. And I think that's the whole thing is that everything having to do with Sonic and Robotnik is fine. Like Jim Carrey, you could take or leave. Um, he brings the the wackiness of a of a character like Robotnik, and he makes it more like his traditional the mask or Ace Ventura style um, over the top cartoon uh, performance. But he does really well, and I would I would be all right with seeing another Jim Carrey as Robotnik uh, with more focus on the Sonic characters. The problem is you're bringing in boring, uninteresting, like, you didn't watch Sonic X for the little Richie Rich character that Sonic hung out with. You cared about Sonic. And I think that's the problem with so many attempts to try and bring fantasy characters to the real world, is that we don't, most of us who care about the fantasy elements don't care about how they're going to interact with the blandest character imaginable. Like, even, like, James Mars, like, people compare this to Hop. This is leagues above Hop, personally. Like, this is leagues better than Hop. Hop was an absolute train wreck. It is uh, it is unwatchable. This at least tries. This at least understands Sonic the Hedgehog enough that at points, you get it. Um, and yeah, the, the redesign looks good, and the effects are solid enough. And the the use of the, the the whole impetus for Robotnik being called Eggman is included. So, I mean, like, people who are fans of Sonic are like, oh, my, yeah, they included this bit, they included this bit, they included this bit. This is the, this had the first bit of sequel bait since I started reviewing movies where I was like, ooh, now I want to see a sequel. Because um, most of the time when sequel bait is included, it's on a movie that's terrible. And this isn't, you know, you know depending on who you are, this... That doesn't change, but at the same point, like, the sequel bait here made me really interested to see what they would do, maybe, you know, what would they do next, and, you know, I think Jim Carrey fully becoming Eggman Eggman Robotnik in the next movie would be fun, the problem is everything leading up to this movie was a disaster, and if it doesn't perform mega bucks, there's no reason for them to do another one, and the whole point is that there's an entire contingent of people who are con- co- continuously sick of branding in movies. But once again, they uh, they nothing we could do about that. There is nothing that we as consumers could really do about that because that is outside of our purview. How many times has a boycott worked? 
since the 80s. Since the 80s, how many boycotts have actively worked? Corporations are going to make their money from consumers no matter how big the protest is against them. That's why that's why the whole consumers are the problem thing that that uh Keto Roberto is so keen on pushing isn't the problem. Americans seeing movies isn't the problem. The problem comes from within the system itself and the fact that it's all corporate run and the fact that they rely on branding because that's what business people do. It's it's it is the effect of all going on 40 years of Reaganism in Hollywood that that you know Reagan era economics and corporatization that we ha- that we are where we are. The only way to combat that is on a on their level. There's nothing we can do as consumers. The only other entity powerful enough to even try anything against corporations is the government. And that means we have to get legislation put in place to rein them in. And unfortunately, the people aren't interested in having that discussion. They would much rather blame pe- blame, you know, mom, you know, the poor parents of kids who just want to see Sonic the Hedgehog on the big screen. Seriously. Have you ever been a kid? And you, your favorite thing ever was getting a movie and you wanted to see it. It didn't matter if it sucked or not. You were a kid. This thing you loved is getting a movie. And no matter how much it sucked, you wanted to see it. Have you never been that? Have you always been the jaded little kid who's like, oh, they're making a Sonic the Hedgehog movie. Hollywood is so out of, our, out of original ideas. If that was you... You were a loser kid because most of the kids I know, oh, if Peppa Pig got an animated movie on the big screen, even if it was literally just the same stuff you could see on video and on YouTube, my niece would lose her goddamn mind because that's how kids are when they see the thing that they like at the is coming to the movie theaters. They, the thing that they like, it doesn't, they don't, they're not thinking about the corporatization of Hollywood and the brand recognition and all of these other lofty ideas. All they know is the thing that they like is get, is coming to the movie theater and they want to check it out. And most kids are like that probably up until about preteen, teenage years. And yeah. It, 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 the, the, the problems that everybody's fighting these culture wars over don't have anything to do with Sonic the goddamn Hedgehog. Yes, this was an average family adventure movie. It was fun because of Ben Schwartz and Jim Carrey and all the stuff that was brought in by clear Sonic fans. Or at least people... I, I compare this to also... Um, not to the same extent, but Godzilla King of the Monsters. The reason that's my favorite movie currently is because as somebody who grew up on Godzilla I got everything I wanted out of that movie there were people the people who made that movie same with Pacific Rim the people who made that movie clearly know what fans of that thing like and the pe- people who were making this movie knew what people knew what fans of Sonic liked about Sonic liked about his characterization liked about liked about it liked about the franchise and they would try to bring as much of that into the film as they could. And the problem was studio interference and reliance on tired old tropes. 
If it, once again, executives don't know don't know dick about shit. <laughs> and yeah, it's not. This isn't the movie to have the fight over. Star Wars isn't the franchise to wage the culture war over. No pop culture is so important that it should be fought to be the battleground for some over-encompassing culture war. But we've become so pop culture-centric as a society that we're driven to pop culture things because that's our way of communicating with one another. Pop culture can transcend language barriers even. That's why memes and so many things can go beyond, go, you know, go international because, oh, I get that thing even though I don't speak that language. I get that, you know, I can get that reference. And so big pop culture icons can transcend language barriers to communicate with one another and now we've started to use that as a means of perpetuating all kinds you know, put, you know put putting forward all kinds of ide ideologies that had nothing to do with the pop culture thing to begin with and we can trace that back to 2016 when just people started drawing the line to the sand of what thing represented which thing and now all of a sudden the people who took Fight Club too literally are like The Last Jedi is the worst Star Wars ever and whether or not you like The Last Jedi is now an indication of your own ideology because we poisoned the well. We've absolutely poisoned the well and the discourse is dead and we've killed it and there's nothing more we can do about it. So, anyway. Sonic the Hedgehog wasn't too bad and uh, if people are getting... people should not be getting this upset about Sonic the Hedgehog and just let people like things. And you should also let people not like things. So if people, some, somebody doesn't like Sonic the Hedgehog, the movie, then let them not like it and you can go off and enjoy it. That's how it used to be. And we need to try and wean ourselves off of the discourse and the, the culture war and the fighting with one another over silly pop culture movies. We can just enjoy things and not enjoy things and, be, and just let that be. Movies are not where we should be fighting the culture wars, is all I'm saying. We weren't brought here to have our own fantasies. I want it. I got it. I want it. We were brought here to be a part of someone else. I got it. I want it. I got it. I'm your friend. I've always wanted to hear you say that. I am debating putting in a spoiler warning for this review because I don't know how many people would really care if I spoiled the ending for this movie. It's one thing to, to spoil the ending of a movie people want to see. How much is a spoiler warning needed for a movie nobody really needed or wanted to see? Like, people... The only thing that people would... The only reason to see this movie is if you're building a worst movies of 2020 list. Or if you're, um, if you're watching, if you're into, like, really bad movies and mocking them. Like, like, this isn't the kind of movie to really care about plot twists and spoilers, I don't think. But I also don't want to say that and then have somebody say, oh, I spoiled it for them. So I think what I'm going to do, I think I've done this before, but what I'm, what I'm setting out to do from here on in is if it's a movie that has a lot of good hype around it, that has a lot of good, that has a lot of people clamoring to want to see it for themselves, I will avoid spoilers. 
I'll avoid spoilers like I've done with... I'll put in the spoiler warning for Star... You know, like I've done with Star Wars and uh, the Marvel movies and, you know, so something that people are interested in seeing, I'll... I'll put in the spoiler warning. But if it's a really crappy movie that nobody should see, that if you're interested in seeing a good movie, you should not see this because it is not a good movie. I won't. I'll. 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 I won't put in a major spoiler alert. But I will say when I'm going into spoiler territory, and I'll say at the beginning of the review, like I am doing now, that. Um, we're going to go into spoiler territory, uh, later on down the line as I talk about this, because, uh, a lot of the worst parts about this movie have to deal with spoilers. But, um, we're talking about Fantasy Island. Uh, a setup that I was very interested in seeing play out because it was Blumhouse producing a horror horror revision of Fantasy Island, which I think could work. You reimagine Fantasy Island, only the fantasies are like monkey's paw wishes, where they turn sour and it becomes a whole, you know, it it turns into bad things happening instead of your fantasy. I've never seen the original show. I don't know if it was just like fantasy wish fulfillment or whatever, or if there was some overarching drama throughout the show or something like that. But I do think that there is a... Um, you know, there's that there's a there are possibilities to reimagining certain, uh, you know, storylines, certain IPs in a new genre. Like, how would this play out in this genre? Something like that. How would you take something comedic and play it for serious? Can that work? Or you take something serious, you play it for laughs. Um, that's what they did with Twenty One Jump Street, and that worked. So. Fantasy Island as a horror movie, there's the good possibilities there, and they tease something interesting. And that's when I saw who was making it. And I mentioned this last week, that it's the people behind Truth or Dare. Blumhouse's Truth or Dare is one of the worst movies they've ever released. It is absolutely god-awful terrible. And yet, because it was so, because Blumhouse does things on the cheap, and all it takes is enough people to recoup, recoup the budget and uh, marketing... And they're done so cheaply that that's not that all, it doesn't take a lot. Then these people manage to get a new gig from Blumhouse, and it's reimagining Fantasy Island. Guess what? It is just as bad. It is just as bad as Truth or Dare. Only this time we've got Michael Pena and Michael Rooker managing to elevate it beyond absolute dog shit. So. Uh, right, well, right off the bat, the big, the first problem with this movie is the editing. It is the choppiest, laziest editing. Um, not lazy, but it's like that they, they're so. It's it's um it's the Benihana editing that I like to call it, where cut 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 where the action comes and it's just cut 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 to hide everything, to make it look like it's more action packed than it actually is. It's bad uh, fight choreography and bad and bad everything. So they hide it with bad editing. And so this is already, uh, I'm already uh, pulling up the slimy nominees for um, 2021 for next year. And already I've got Fantasy Island as worst adaptation and worst film editing because it is inexcusably bad. Um, And then, yeah, once the actual um, plot kicks in, it is the same horror character cliches that you've seen in every horror movie and the brothers, played by um, played by uh, Jimmy O. Yang and Ryan Hansen, 
they are just insufferable. They are the worst kind of dude bro characters with like barely any real substance to them at all. And everybody's insufferable in here. In fact, the lead actress in here is the same actress from Truth or Dare. Because apparently they just like her that much. And she is just as bad here as she was there. And I'm nothing to get... Like, apparently she's from Pretty Little Liars, Lucy Hale. But I just... The two things I've seen her in, she is awful. She is just absolutely not very good. And, yeah, the only one character... The only actors who actually are anywhere decent are Michael Rooker and Michael Pena. Uh, Michael Pena is playing Rourke uh, this time. And he's not a bad choice. He does a decent job as Rourke. And, yeah, Michael Rooker is the one who is the best part of the whole thing because he's Michael freaking Rooker. He's good in everything. Even, you know, no matter how crap the thing is, Michael Rooker's in it, he's going to do a good job. You know, he's like Samuel L. Jackson where it's like, doesn't matter how bad the movie is, he's in it, He's his part's going to be good. And then it's just a matter of the whole convoluted nature of, like, as thing as things are happening, it turns out that... The fantasy island is somebody's fantasy. You know, the fantasies are starting to cross over and you're like, what the hell's going on? And then you realize, oh, everything ties together. And then it's like, okay, wait, everything ties together. Why does that? And then they, the big reveal happens. Why they were, why they, that, why the pe- people themselves were brought to this island is revealed. And it is absolutely goddamn stupid. It is the worst twist reveal I have ever seen. So, uh, the big things, the big plot relevant things have to do with, um, the main character played by Lucy Hale, uh, getting revenge on, uh, her middle school bully played by Portia Doubleday. And that part is stupid, but you think that it's, you think that it means something when they start to get, start to get to know one another and overcome their you know, animosity. And then the reveal happens, and this is where the spoiler comes in. So if you have any interest in um, seeing this movie for yourself and not getting spoiled, uh, skip ahead to um, the photograph review because from here on in, there will be spoilers. And yeah, so basically, the main character brought is the reason that everybody's on the island because it's technically her fantasy. Because all the fantasies are all tied together. So everyone got their own fantasy. But the overarching fantasy, the one that's really happening, is the main characters. Because, because it turns out, as, they, as the movie went on, uh, it was Maggie Q who first realized, who first started to reveal what was uh, the... Um, the uh, I mean, there's hints here and sprinkled throughout the movie, but you wouldn't notice them at all. But um, Maggie Q changes up her fantasy since her fantasy was to undo the biggest regret she ever had. And first that was saying no to a proposal. And then she changed that to saving um, saving somebody from a fire, that her um, upstairs roommate. And then during that, fa- that fantasy sequence, you see uh, the two brothers running downstairs, the, um, the cop who's there to play soldier... Um, is 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 one of the cops there, and he mentioned he had this biggest regret that got him sent to a desk job, and it turns out that loose that uh, the main character's um not even boyfriend guy she went on one coffee date with 
died in a fi- died in that fire. And so her fantasy is to bring in the bully who who ruined her life, quote, you know, quote, you know, who made her life terrible. And so then everybody else who caused the one boy who 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 she liked to die. And like the movie barely barely acknowledges the fact that this girl has now gone completely certifiably insane because this isn't even about a boyfriend. This is about a potential boyfriend. And so she gets people killed because she is pissed about a potential boyfriend. That is the dumbest twist I have ever seen from a horror movie. Seriously, the twist is that this girl, the girl, then who we saw, we saw go through so many changes. Oh, turns out she was just making it up. She was acting. Now she's the best actress in the whole movie. She's apparently the best actress ever because she pretended to make up with her high school, for her, with her middle school bully so she can get everybody together and kill them all for a potential boyfriend dying in a fire. Not even a real boyfriend. Like, she had one coffee date with this guy, and she's killing everybody because he died in a fire. That makes no goddamn sense. That is an into- that is so many leaps in logic that it's absolutely insane. We're logic and reason are no point in this movie anymore because we just decided, nah, screw it. Why bother? <laughs> Just uh, all the interesting, cool ideas that they would came up with. The whole um, turns out that like the 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 cops' fantasy was to be a soldier, so he gets uh, mixed in with his father's platoon, uh, who died um, in doing some contra stuff in Central America, uh, and like the brothers, they want to be ballers, and so that somehow that ties into some coke. Uh, Kingpin? That... Uh, all of... All the jumps are so stupid. The only one of the Fantasy Island residents that isn't terrible is Maggie Q. Only because they barely give her anything to do. And... Everyone else is just awful. Awful, awful, awful. Can't stand them awful. And the only reason this isn't lower than... The reason I gave this one and a half stars instead of, like, half a star is specifically because of Michael Pena and Michael Rucker. They're the only reasons I didn't hate this movie entirely. And the final twist, by the way, if, you, if you're if you familiar with Fantasy Island, is Tattoo, the um, little person who was Rourke's assistant. You know, he's the one who always said, the plane, the plane, the plane. He's, the, he's delivered the most iconic line. Well, where's Tattoo in all of this? The final reveal is that... Uh, Jimmy O. Yang's character got a bad tattoo in high school and it was his nickname not in, in college and it was his nickname for his entire life and he hates it and he reveals and he reveals that his tattoo that was so bad was literally tattoo the word tattoo in like script and so Rourke says well tattoo and like the whole thing is like Jimmy O. Yang stays on the island so his brother can go off and have his own life without him and so he'll stay on the island so that his brother can live because he died at some point it doesn't matter and so like oh turns out jimmy o yang this whole time was this is the tattoo origin story apparently for fantasy island nah 
Now that was that was even worse than the, the twist that it was all a revenge fantasy for some girl for some psycho girl. No, this is this is inexcusable. This is this is absolutely going on my worst of the year list because it is inexcusably terrible. Just uh, 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 no, nah, man, nah, nah. We ain't doing this, fam. Nope, we're done. So yeah, Fantasy Island. Skip it if you're in, if you're not into bad movies. If you have the stomach for terrible movies. Sure, give it a shot. Because I'm afraid to love you. You don't have to be afraid. What'd y'all do when the power went out today? <laughs> Yo, she did the little sip and smile thing. Like <laughs> This next one's actually going to be the least interesting one to talk about this week. Just because... While it's the highest rated by critics, there isn't really much to say. It's like there's there are these you know there's a concept in film called a slow burn in which you know it takes a while but it eventually leads to something. You know it's a it's a it's a it's like a fireplace burning. It's like it's like a slow sort of build up, and this is more like a smolder. Because it's supposed to be about a cross-generational romance. And Issa Rae and Lakia Stanfield are in the present in a rela- trying to start a relationship and dating. And then it cuts back to Issa Rae's mom, who's played by, I don't remember. Let me look it up because she's super cute. Um, let me see. Uh, uh, what was I? I'm not remembering her name. Um, shoot. Uh, like her character name, like, mm, hmm, shoot. Um, let's go to Wiki. Wiki may have the answers. Wiki usually does have the answers if IMDb doesn't. Here we go. 2020 film. Yep. Here we go. Uh, Shantae Adams. Best known for uh, Roxanne Roxanne. Not sure about that one. Um, Monsters and Men. Bad Hair. Um, Bad Hair. Okay. I was thinking of, um, no, I was thinking of Hair Love. This is apparently some horror comedy with uh, Kelly Rowland, Vanessa Williams, Jay Farrow, Blair Underwood, Laverne Cox. What the, how did I not hear about this? Apparently it's, it premiered at Sundance um, this year. And uh, yeah, um, so she's just now starting to kind of break into the business. Started in 2017 and so now we're starting to get a, get a, get see more of her. Um, and then, uh, Yilin, Why apostrophe L-A-N? I want to say Elin or Yilin. I don't know, and I don't want to be the one to mess it up because he's a good actor in this. Uh, he is, he plays, um, the love interest for, uh, Issa Rae's mom, who is a photographer who wants to go, go to New York and be, you know, become bigger than just staying in Louisiana, um oh he was in the first purge okay and then he was in the insecure on hbo 
Um, well, so by his array, so he's worked with this array before. Um, and then you also got Lil Rel Howard and um, Tiana Paris as um, I think they're un- as a brother and sister in law to Lakeith Stanfield. Uh, but yeah, basically, um, they're the, the most interesting parts of the movie just because they have some liveness about them. They have some, you know, like that's the thing is that for a love story, this is weirdly dispassionate. Like, but both the um, past love and the present day love feel so cold and distant. They don't, you don't feel like the chemistry between any of the characters, really. The only time there's any sort of like, effervescent some kind of liveliness is when Lil Rel Howard and um uh Tiana Paris are on as the uh as as a more like energetic like comedic family you know the family members but everything like Chelsea Peretti is in this she's completely forgettable like she doesn't even get like it's one thing for comedic uh, comedians to take serious roles but they're not really given much to do like Issa Rae looks phenomenal in this um she could be a leading lady no problem but she's also really bland her character is really bland and like lakeith stanfield a lot of the times he just looks tired he doesn't look like he's in love he looks like he's tired and i think um what it comes down to is this is from stella i want to say maggie meggie meggie i don't want to it mehi G-H. I don't know how... Meiji. I don't know. Uh, but she's known mainly for um, some independent films. Everything, everything she did uh, with Amanda Stenberg. Wait a second. Which one's that? Oh, God damn it! I almost forgot that one. It's the stupid fake-out Fault in Our Stars wannabe health thing. Ah, damn it. Oh, well. Which, that was her adapting a book. She can help that. Um, she also did The Weeknd. Um, stars Shazir, Sashir Zameda, Tone Bell, a lot of, uh, oh, also, uh, Elon Noel. Um, so she, she, she's worked with him and, uh, so is this array. So, I mean, it's like, it's like, a, it's like, a, it's like a bunch of friends getting back together for the thing. Um, but she's worked on Grownish, Insecure, First Wives Club, Gene of the Joneses was her first movie, which is, uh, premiered at TIFF. So, I mean, like. I don't know if the weekend's better because it's a more com- it's more of a comedy, but the photograph is actually fairly bland and uninteresting. And like I don't want to say that against you know because once again I haven't seen everything else she's done. Like the weekend, seeing this and then watching the weekend would probably be a better idea of like what exactly, and maybe see if I can find that um, Tiff movie she did first. That would give me a better... Seeing her entire filmography would give me a better idea of what to expect from her as a writer-director. Because just this alone makes me think that she is not very dynamic. That she's very... Like, she's chill and laid back, but she's also not very interesting either. It's Because that's the thing. This is beautifully shot. Very well shot. And Issa Rae and Lakeith Stanfield look amazing as the couple on screen. And, you know, once again, having a black-centric romance movie isn't a bad thing. But that's mainly in, like, a visual sense. Seeing representation on the screen is good. But as with all things, like, you need good... You need more... You know, having that representation is good, but but the movie itself still has to be good. Like, it's saying... 
like people are saying that um, on Rotten Tomatoes, the the consensus was it's an affecting love story and simmering chemistry. Like, did we watch the same thing? Because all I got was boredom. Like, I I did not feel any of the chemistry between Issa Rae and Lakey Stanfield. And I think it was just because everything is so quiet. It's so quiet, there's like, there's not even a simmering going on. It's like, a, you know, it's like, if you're boiling a pot of water, this is the point where you just turned on the stove, and it hasn't even, the waters haven't even started to bubble. Like, there's no real anything going on. And it's just a matter of... Yeah, I don't know. Uh, maybe it's just because this is her first real, like, drama? Romance drama? Um, I know she wasn't very good at uh, everything, everything, but that was because she was dealing with terrible source material, from what I can understand. So, yeah, teen drama, teen romance drama is not going to be the same as an adult romance drama, and this is better than everything, everything, but it's, never, it's not something I really want to go back to. Like... I don't get what the real hype is around it, just because the further I sat in the movie, the more bored I got. I was the most bored watching this movie. But it wasn't bland, either. It's not a bland movie, it was just not engaging. It just didn't engage me, and I'm, and I'm, I'm disappointed that it wasn't able to. Just because you've got a phenomenal cast... We've got a, a, a writer-director who seems to know what she... She seems to be fairly good, from what I can tell. You know, the one thing notwithstanding. So I don't know what happened that it didn't work out. Like, I was... Like, I, I think I... I think I caught on... After so, after so many times of seeing the trailer, I did definitely feel the vibes of um, The Sun is Also a Star going on, where it just felt like... Their idea of romance is visual, but not, like, engaging visual. Like, it's pretty to look at, but not really substantive. And I think that's a big... I, th I think that's... I don't know how big a deal that is. I know, um... Friend of the show, <laughs> I wish. Uh, but uh, Jordane, uh, she may talk about stuff like that over on uh, Bad Romance pod uh i really need to catch up on my stuff i'm still a year behind on my other podcast that i'm listening to so i, I don't want to add any new ones to the mix until i'm caught up and i feel like i'm never going to get caught up so i can check out like bad romance pod and the, the all these other cool things that people i know are doing and it's just like uh the time where's the time <laughs> anyway um I'm curious, I would be curious to hear her thoughts on this as well, because um, she's also, you know, she's a filmmaker in her own right, she she talks about, you know, romance stuff every week, it seems like, uh, I don't know their release schedule over there, so I mean, I'm very, I'd be very curious to hear her thoughts on this, but personally, I just, I didn't get anything from this, and if you did, ghoul, ghoul, good, cool, yes, that's the word, <laughs> those are the words, um, but yeah, if you got something from this, fantastic, great, great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Personally, I didn't get much chemistry off of this movie. I just was it was a, it was a pot sitting waiting to boil, but there wasn't even a fire started. So I don't know. Don't uh, wish nothing but the best for them. But just this time didn't work out for me personally. Not that that matters anyway. Yeah, this, you know, if you want to check this out, go ahead. But you know, just be keep keep in mind. Uh, depending on your predilections, this may just actually bore you. I know one dude came out of the movie said that was the worst thing he'd ever seen, so he, he was really bored by it. Um, 
So, I mean, your results may vary. There's only one thing I have to worry about right now, and that's going down. I don't understand why there weren't any warnings posted anywhere. There was a warning. What? Posted at lifts, gondolas, hotel receptions, restaurants, shops, bars, soda machines, toilets. We didn't see any of that. Well... Last of the new releases, we've got Downhill, the latest from Nat Faxon and Jim Rash. Jim Rash, you may know most from uh, Community as the Dean, and you may also not, and you may also know that he also won an, an Oscar for writing The Descendants in uh, 2010. So he's an Oscar-winning uh, writer. And also the dude who's probably best known for this better not awaken anything in me. <laughs> you know, the, the goofy dean on Community is an Academy Award winning screenwriter. And uh, he and Nat Faxon are back. I think they were directors too. I don't know what all the, I forgot what all the Descendants won. But um, they're back adapting a French film uh, called, I think for, it's the translation is Forces of Nature. Let me see. Uh, Force Majeure, uh, also called in Swedish, uh, the Tourist. Uh, Force Majeure, um, a contractual clause freeing both parties from liability. <laughs> oh, uh, okay. That's, that's cute. Um, so anyway, yeah, it's a French-Swedish, uh, film production about a, a family on a holiday in the Alps. And, um, oh, it's a sweet, okay, no, it's a, it's a French language film, but it's also, but it's about a Swedish family. Is it a Swedish film? It's got like Sweden, France, Norway, um, I don't know, they're in the French Alps, it's weird. Um, anyway, uh, I think it's a, it must be a Swedish film, uh, Ruben Eastland, uh, okay, so that's Sweden, um, okay, so I think that's Sweden. Uh, yeah. Anyway, point is, it's a, it's a, it's up in that Scandinavia region. And, uh, so, so it's, a it's about a family that goes to holiday in the Alps and it's all about their sort of family drama and, um, worries about, um, you know, uh, the, the, the marriage dynamics are sort of like, um, you know, being, are sort of hitting against each other. And in this uh, version you've got Will Ferrell as the husband and uh Julia Louise Dreyfus as the wife but then you've also got Miranda Otto as a German a woman that they meet there and um those are the biggest names you'll see you might know Zach Woods he plays a friend of uh Will Ferrell's that stops by to visit and then um he brings Zoe Chow uh as his girlfriend uh, she's best known for somebody in Strangers. Um, no idea. Oh, God. Facebook Watch. Uh, yeah, pivot to video. God damn it. <laughs> Facebook. Anyway, um, uh, so yeah, it's Nat Faxon and Jim Rash adapting uh, this uh, the Swedish movie into a one of their sort of sardonic dark comedies. And the premise here is that while they're on, the, while they're on um, 
vacation in this time the Austrian Alps. Um, there is a controlled avalanche that scares them, and will if you see if you watch the trailer, you'll see this. So it's not really spoiling, but the inciting incident is during the one of the controlled avalanches. Uh, it comes straight for them. Julie Louise Dreyfus huddles over the kids while Will Ferrell runs away. And so after that point, uh, everything is kind of, they're, all, they're kind of butting heads against each other, just trying to deal with their rough patch in their marriage while they're on a family skiing trip. And it's like, at first, at first like for the first bits of it, I was thinking, God, Julie Louise Dreyfus is so unbearable in this. She's just like the worst kind of mom. She's almost a full on Karen. Not to disparage any actual Karens out there. That name has been ruined by pop called by a, by a, the, I don't know. I feel like we should, rem- I, Karens and Beckys and like using the person's name is very good shorthand. But I feel like we almost need like a, a, a terminology for them for the trope. So like the the overbearing I don't know like Karen's just good shorthand but the the point is I I at first thought Julie Louise Dreyfus was unbearable like oh she's the worst kind of mom oh god oh she's an attorney even better but then as time went on you begin to realize oh no she's she's just she's not that this isn't the this isn't uh. Um, her big, you know, she's not the problem. Will Farrell's just as much as the problem because he is, he does things on his own. He doesn't really consult with them at all. He's, he, he it kind of reminds me of the dynamic between my parents, not giving too much away, thought to this comedic extent, but my dad is very independent and he'll do things on his own. Whereas my mom is very family centric and she likes to do things together and so a lot of their fights are about the miscommunications between them because my dad's doing his own things, whereas my mom is trying to maintain the family unit. And it's just sort of those sort of... I can't, I'm not going to lie. A lot of the fights that happened between Julie Louis Dreyfus and Will Ferrell felt like I was going back home to visit my parents and they were having a really bad day you know really bad time of it recently like i came into a fight that started like days ago and it's like they're still fighting about it and it's just like okay yep i'm ready uh this is awkward i'll say this much faxon and rash are like masters of the awkward family drama the family melodrama where it's just like God, this is so awkward to sit through and watch. Uh, goosebumps just sitting there because you just want to leave. Your 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 instinct is to just go leave. Let me leave, and you can't. Uh, but um, yeah, it's a very very interesting. Um, it's not getting as well. Uh, not getting a good reception for some reason. Um, it's. I think it. Oh. oh, oh uh, yep, there it is. All the people who watched Downhill saw the original and they're like, it's not as good as the original. Uh, uh. I don't know why I went part French there, but ugh, ugh. anyway, yeah, I haven't seen the original, so this is just fine. Also, I like Jim Rash and Nat Faxon. I think they're good. I think they're good filmmakers. I really, it's not as good. I will say this isn't as good as The Descendants because that one was much tighter here, this is a lit, bit more meandering. This doesn't really stay focused on a lot of the stuff. It kind of goes kind of wishy-washy from place to place. But, um, yeah, it's uh, 
Yeah, like Will Ferrell invited his friend and his and the friend's girlfriend over, thinking, "Oh, we'll just have a good time." And meanwhile, Julia Louise Dreyfus is like, "Why'd you invite them over? I barely know them." And it's, yeah, it's yeah, it's like sitting in with my parents when they fight, and I'm like, oh, "I don't like this. I don't want to. I can't say anything, but I I just want to go. Please let me leave." Uh, but um, yeah, it's it's a really solid uh movie from them. I think I would rather recommend this. Is honestly. My pick of the week, even though I rated it on the same level as Sonic the Hedgehog, but this was my pick of the week. Um, Fantasy Island is my unpopped kernel, and yeah, if you're gonna see anything this this uh, weekend, if you saw anything, you know, you're gonna see anything from this weekend. Uh, I would recommend Downhill, uh, maybe the photograph if you're into that sort of thing. But yeah, those two are the ones to see. Um, or if you're a fan, you know, you're, if you want to see a family adventure thing, you can go see Sonic. That's fine. But um, yeah, these are. Uh, I thought I liked this a lot. Um, I just couldn't get into it as I did the Descendants, which I still think is a phenomenal movie. Um, so yeah, Downhill is fun. I uh, highly recommend it, uh, and I really, and I'm really interested to see what else uh, Fags and Rash do next. Salutations, ladies and gentlemen. It's the Popcorn Junkie here for a little Netflix and chat. Alright. Oddly enough, my three Netflix and chats this week are about movies I got from a Redbox. Because I decided on a whim to check out... um, You know what it was? I thought Redbox was still doing games and I wanted to try out... um, uh, Jedi, uh, fall, I think it's Fallen Order, um, the new, uh, Star Wars game, and I didn't realize that Redbox stopped doing games, so I just decided while I was there to check out, um, some of the movies I had missed during that hiatus period in September of last year, and so I caught Arctic Dogs, managed to get that one for free, did not want to pay for that one, uh, Abominable and Judy. And I'll say this, uh, Arctic Dogs is the unpopped kernel, whereas Abominable and Judy are both solid. Um, so for Arctic Dogs, it's the same studio as Norm of the North, yet interestingly, it is technically better than Norm of the North. Uh, I did a whole munch along for it because I wasn't going to watch that one by myself. Um, so I don't know if you caught that on Twitter, but it's like this weird eclectic cast of like Alec Baldwin, Jeremy Renner, Heidi Klum... Angelica Houston, Jay, James Franco, John Cleese, who came up with this cast? And yeah, it's, I hated the protagonist. I think he's a, he's a perpetual loser and he's no fun. And Jeremy Renner does not make him sound any better. Uh, the plot is absolutely stupid. And it's this weird, like, what, what, like, can we get good global warming movies? Like, can we just get good global warming movies? Movies that deal with global warming that aren't awful. I mean, the uh, uh, an inconvenient truth, whatever. I'm talking about, like, f- fictional movies that deal with global warming. Because, like, every kid's movie that tries to deal with global warming is is awful. And, like, whenever there's, like, a major thing that people are talking about with, like, global warming and trying to combat it, they're, like, the supervillains doing it and they're doing it wrong. And then it never gets done. And it feels like a weird sort of... Like, Hollywood saying we shouldn't have to combat global warming because, look, all the bad guys care about global warming. You don't want to be a bad guy, right? And it just feels like this weird undercurrent 
of like the people who actually care about climate change and the devastation it's going to cause are the villains who are doing it in a way who are solving the problems with evil means and it's like why are you always portraying the people who care about the climate as the bad guys hollywood what what why and then of course the global warming thing didn't really pay off except for one major fart joke the whole thing leads up to a fart joke thanks arctic dogs <laughs> like they really pushed that it smells like the earth made a poopy what who wrote that who thought who wrote that who, who was okay with Jeremy Renner saying that? Who decided to put that in all the trailers? Because I remember that line specifically from the trailers for that stupid movie. Ugh. And uh, I do want to comment that apparently um, behind the scenes there were some interesting um, concepts art. Like the idea that there was going to be a Arctic battle movie. Like the things waging war against each other in the Arctic. That sounded interesting. Uh, but... What ended up, what we ended up getting was an absolute, you know, disaster. And I'm glad it failed. And I hope the studio goes under because until they can start doing something good. You know, if they can't do something good, they don't, we, we shouldn't have them. But, yeah. Uh, apparently there's like four Norm of the Norths now because they're all direct to video and they're all placating to China. I don't know if China's really big on Norm of the North, but... Oh. Speaking of China, though, uh, DreamWorks did a collaboration with a Chinese studio, and they brought us one of the first uh, Chinese-led uh, cast of characters and um, Asian, predominantly Asian casts, um, with Abominable. And yeah, it takes place in I don't know I don't want to say Shanghai, but it takes place in some it takes place in China, and it's about Eddie Izzard playing a you know kooky old um, rich guy who wants the Yeti to show off to people. And, um, it's about, uh, these kids who, uh, rescue him, trying to get him back to Everest. And they name him, they name him Everest. And I, for some reason, I kept thinking the name was Everest because Everest, Everest has said a lot on the thing, but yeah, it's abominable is the name. Uh, he's also got Tenzing Norgay's grandson as the, uh, older cousin in this. And I, I did not know he was an, I think I meant, saw his name once before, but yeah, it's real. That's really interesting that um, he's the, you know the grandson of somebody so famous is now trying to be an actor, and he's not too bad either. Um, I didn't see like the he was apparently on some Disney Channel show, Liz and Maddie, Liv and Maddie. Um, but uh, I'm interested to see what else he does. Um, the, the big uh, overarching storyline is uh, Chloe Bennett, um, who is from. Uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and is uh, of Chinese descent. Her father's Chinese. Is um, She plays a character who lost her father and is trying to deal with the loss um, by kind of Im kind of imploding, by kind of just, care you know, just get earning money, doing odd jobs, and just, just trying to escape. Um, and it it is through the adventure with the Everest the Yeti that she kind of overcomes the loss of her father. And, uh, you know, you know, through this, she also kind of like, she's very insecure about playing the violin because he played it for her all the time. And it's gaining security to kind of play that in front of people. Uh, uh I will say that everything about this movie is good, uh, except for the plot, which is every 
you know, if you've seen E.T. and all of the other, you know, kids find a fantastical creature and they have to get it back home, storyline, yeah. It is the weakest, It that is the weakest point. The What helps is the cast, the setting, the animation. Uh, there's a twist villain um, that you didn't really see coming uh, that is really, um, that is really interesting. And yeah, the overarching themes of family and remembering your family and 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 you know remembering to that your family is there for you is you know it's all really solid it's just i think it's not as top not top tier dreamworks just because of the story just because they don't really do much more with it it also sucks that while most dreamworks movies have like these crazy elaborate end credit sequences all this got was freaking screen caps like wow guys did you really not care that much that you couldn't do an animated sequence for the end just something, just little artwork drawings. You just literally took screen caps from the movie we just watched. Assholes. Anyway, uh, yeah, that Abominable is good. Uh, just needed a little bit more to be great. And then uh, lastly, Judy, which I didn't get a chance to see before the Oscars, but Renee Zellweger absolutely earned that Oscar because she is the reason to see this movie. She is, this is a great character piece for her and it really showcases just how messed up judy garland's life got because of hollywood so you know everything around her was abuse everyone around her was abusive they put her on drugs when she was a teenager it's no wonder her life fell apart and you i have so much more respect for her and i wish that she she didn't have that kind of life because it's so tragic to watch somebody who you re, who has so much talent be abused by the system and like it's really creepy when Lewis Mayer, um, the head of NGM at the time, was, like, really creepy. Like, just super creepy towards teenage Judy Garland. And it's really upsetting. And it's like, oh my god, this is awful. But, um, yeah, it's it's an interesting thing. Uh, the only... I also kind of dock at points just because they felt the need to, like... The only reason there's a gay couple in there is because Judy Garland is a gay icon. And, like, they introduced a gay couple for her to hang out with because, you know, it felt like, it kind of felt like, um, uh, fan service a bit. But at the same point, it's not terrible either. Because it's like, they're interesting characters in their own right. And they also give some well-meaning, uh, um context to the fact that up until about the point where she was performing in London... Uh, the UK did have laws um, making uh, homosexuality punishable uh, by cast. Like, that's what happened to um, Alan Turing, was he was caught uh, having a gay relationship and they castrated, chemically castrated him. And so, yeah, the UK has a very, very bad history with gay rights. And including that isn't a bad thing. It's just, you know, it's, it's still fictional. So for a biopic, I dock at points just for that. Even if it's not, even if it's well intentioned, but um, yeah, it's it's she is the reason. She, the other problem is outside of Renee Zellweger as uh, Judy Garland, there's really nothing to. I mean, once again, you're dealing with a single person biopic. Of course, they're going to be the center of attention. The problem is none of the other characters around her are that into. Like with um, Rocket Man, uh, you had um, Bernie Taupin was just as interesting enough of a character as Elton John. So when they were together, and if Bernie was doing his own things, you cared about Bernie. 
Whereas Judy Garland, you only really care about Judy Garland. You don't care about her fifth husband. You don't really care about the the third husband who is, you know, who's fighting who she's fighting over her children with. It's just none of the other actors around Renee Zellweger are as compelling as she is. And I think that's the sad part is that the only other name I actually recognized was Michael Gambon as um as this uh as the head of this theater where she's performing. And he's barely in the movie. Like, this is Renee Zellweger's movie, and that's fine, because there's plenty of stuff like that, but it doesn't make me want to go back and watch it again. This felt more, this feels like awards bait. This feels like saying, it, it, you know, this is, basically, this is basically them saying, hey, for your consideration, you know? And, yeah. So, I mean, part of that is why I don't get into it as much. But it's not terrible either. It's a really well-shot movie, and she is masterful in her performance. And it makes me... And you know what's really unsettling is that Renee Zellweger herself went through a lot of... uh, Not the exact same, obviously, because things have improved somewhat. But think of Renee Zellweger and all of the pressure that was put on her and... All of the you know abuse she had to endure from the system, and you and you're reminded that it's still going on today. How many actresses and just people within the industry are just abused by it, and it still doesn't change. So I mean, there's massive amounts of abuse within the industry, and the only way to really combat it is to shine a light on it. And I'm hoping that in the, in this century, in this decade, and hopefully in this decade, especially, we take a we we take a moment and just shine a light on all of the abuses going happening, especially after the Me Too movement, and not just sexual, just like emotionally and physically, all of the abuse, you know, abusive stuff that's going on in Hollywood. We shine a light on it and we say that this is unacceptable, but. You know, it's gonna take. That's gotta take within the industry to actually change. But hopefully, it gets done because nobody deserves what Renee Zellweger and Judy Garland, especially, went through. Uh, so yeah, if you get a chance, go watch Judy. It is really good, especially Renee. Like, if that's her real singing voice, then she absolutely once again masterful performance. Absolutely deserved that Oscar, and I hope that she can kind of bring this back and get back into the spotlight again because she did not deserve what she got either. So, yeah, Uh, that does it for all the reviews. So let's cut over to the box office report. And now the popcorn junkie checks in with this week's box office report. Looking at the box office, all four movies um, that came out this week premiered in in the top 10. Dropping out are The Gentleman from 6 to 11, Knives Out is out uh, from 10 to 12. Little Women dropped from 8 to 13. Uh, Gretel and Hansel is out from 7 to 14. And and Star Wars is out from 9 to 15. So uh, currently the uh, number 10 is Downhill, which premiered at, with $4.6 million. It had a budget of not said. Let's check the wiki. Did not say. Shoot. Well, um, if we compare, let's compare it to the Descendants, because I'm because that also was a um, a uh, on location drama. Twenty million it cost them. I'm assuming probably roughly about the same. So that's not very good. Um, this isn't doing as well, sadly. 
and uh, we'll see if it sticks around at all. I, I, I highly doubt it, sadly. It's just not getting a lot of uh, buzz. So this may drop out of the, This may end up being a, fail, a flop uh, for them, but, eh, you know, you win some, you lose some. Anyway, uh, number nine is Doolittle, dropping from four. Uh, brought in $4.8 million this weekend, bringing its domestic gross to 71 uh, world uh, worldwide gross is now one eighty one point nine million dollars. It finally made back its budget. Uh, five weeks later, not a good thing. Not a good sign. Yeah, this is gonna go down. It's not a. It's not a. Not a bomb in the sense of like, um, like you think of Ishtar or uh, the Oogie Loves. You know things that m- massively bombed. Adventures of Pluto Nash. This isn't that bad. It at least made back its budget. It's just not gonna. It's gonna go down as a flop instead of a bomb. Uh, Jumanji is still in the top ten at number eight from number five. Brought in five point five million, bringing its domestic gross up to three hundred and six, and its worldwide gross to seven hundred and seventy nine. This could very well. Uh, mm, no, nah, it's not going to break a billion. Uh, it might. The next one probably will uh, when it comes out. Because if this one's making almost a billion now, the next one will probably break a billion. Uh, jumping up from 11 to 7 is Parasite, which got, saw a jump in uh, screen presence after winning Best Picture. Good for it. Brought in $5.6 million, bringing its domestic growth to $44 million. And its worldwide gross is $179 million. Uh, let's take a look at Wiki, because Box Office Mojo does not have the budget for that. Ooh, there we go. Thankfully, it's right on the Wiki News page. Um, budget is... What is that? Is What is that? What is the... Hold on. Korean... Currency. The Gorio mm, dates back as far as the Gorio district. Da, 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 da. What's the current name of South Korea? The Wan. Okay, and is that yeah the W with the with the railroad tracks on it is the Wan. Wan. Hold on. What? One. Okay, the Korean one. Um. Korean's another one I hear that is a good, interesting language to pick up. Anyway, uh, 13.5 billion won. Ooh. Okay, but that's... The one is more like uh, the Jap- the Japanese yen, where it sounds big numbers, but that's because the, um, the exchange rate is $11 million. 11 million U.S. dollars, or um, 13.5 billion won, and has made $204 million! Do- I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm going to need to convert that. Um, because if... Um, if... Uh, if, uh, if, it, if, if 11 million in U.S. is uh, over... Is 13 billion in um, Korean one, then... This may be over a trillion Korean one, uh, if the exchange, if my exchange rate uh, math is right. Um, so, two hundred four zero 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 zero. Okay. What the hell? 
What the hell? Why can't I go? How how high can I go? Okay, included the commas. That's why two hundred four zero 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 zero. So that is zero zero zero. It's a thousand. There's the million. There's the billion. Two hundred and forty-one trillion five hundred and twenty-five billion eight hundred thousand eight hundred million Korean won. Currency exchange is fun. Anyway, Parasite has so far over earned over $204 million worldwide, according to Wiki. And um, according to Box Office Mojo, it's $179 million, which is fantastic news. That's good for Bong Joon-ho. He deserves it, especially after Weinstein screwed him over on uh, um, Snowpiercer. Because, you know, Weinstein screws everybody over. Dropping from 3 to 6 is 1917. Brought in $8.1 million this weekend. 145 million domestic so far, 323 million worldwide. Good for it. Uh, Bad Boys for Life dropped from two to five for 11.4 million dollars this weekend, bringing in 183 million domestic and 370 million worldwide. Still good. So nothing more to say there. Premiering at number four is The Photograph with 12.1 million dollars this weekend, on a budget of 16 million. And sadly, it's barely made back its budget now. Uh, we'll see if it has legs. If it does, it can be a success, but it doesn't. it's not doing too hot right now. Premiering at number three is Fantasy Island, which brought in $12.3 million. Uh, so far, domestically, it's $14 million. And worldwide, it's $21 million on a $7 million budget. This is the success of Blumhouse. Make things on the cheap, and it doesn't matter how many people see it, and no matter how bad it sucks... You'll be success. Sad, sad day, sad day. Uh, Birds of Prey, stay, sticking at number two uh, with $17.2 million. Uh, domestic gross is $62 million. Worldwide, it's $145 million. It's made back its budget. Uh, if it sticks around long enough, it will make back the marketing money. It's not a big success, but you know what? Uh, the least, uh, at least the next one from DC might do better because... Once again, people are saying like, oh, it's not doing well because there's girls in it. But but Wonder Woman and uh, Captain Marvel both did gangbusters and those had women in it. And I think what people are forgetting is that this was following Suicide Squad, which, which if you know anything about sequel stuff, a good sequel will lead into great, uh, uh, you know, a sequel following a movie that was loved will see more money. The, but every time that previous entry was disliked, people will see you know lower and lower returns on investment. Uh, so this is more a, you know people not coming back because of Suicide Squad more than anything else. So it may and it may do better on uh, video for all we know. We'll see. But yeah, Birds of Prey is doing just fine. Um, you know, not amazing, but people are Hollywood's too focused on amazing. After two weeks, it made back its budget. In fact, it made back its budget, I think, easily opening weekend worldwide. It's just, people are weird. Anyway, premiering at number one is Sonic the Hedgehog with $58 million. World, domestic overall, $70 million. Worldwide opening weekend is $113 million. Made back its budget, no problem. And uh, we'll see if they end up doing a sequel, but that doesn't change the fact that Paramount screwed over so many people in order to make this movie happen. And it still wasn't, I don't, no matter how much money it makes, I don't think that's worth it. But uh, 
anyway, so yeah, Sonic, Sonic dominated the box office this weekend, and uh, we'll see how long he sticks in the picture. Anyway, that's uh, that was the box office report. Looking up in the theaters this weekend, we've got um, the Call of the Wild is going to be the big release. That is from Disney. That is Disney's adaptation of the Jack London book, and apparently the dog was a human in mocap. I don't know why they did it that way, but I I knew they would that you were using a digital dog, but like why is it got to be a person? Like you couldn't do a trained dog and then just mocap the 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 fate. I, I don't know, man. Disney's weird about this sort of thing. Anyway, um, we've also got Brahms, The Boy Two, Joy. Like I like Katie Holmes well enough, but why has it got to be in this, man? Why has it got to be coming back in this, man? But we also got uh, Emma. The uh, adaptation of the J- Jane Austen? Is it Jane Austen? I also just noticed that Emma has a period on it. So that's how they decided to market it. Yeah, Jane Austen is the author of the novel. Um, that looked very fun. And it's got Anya Taylor-Joy, um, Bill Nighy, anybody else I recognize. Uh, Nobody else I recognize, but it looks like fun. There's a there's a resurgence in Victorian era literature being given the farcical treatment because I saw the the um, trailer for David Copperfield with uh, Dev Patel, and that's also doing a more farcical treatment of the thing. So it's like you, using Victorian uh, literature as um, comedy. And like you know, farce is it seems to be the new thing. So I'm very interested to see uh, that one as well as Emma. So we'll check that one out this weekend. And that about does it for this week. Which means it is time for the plugs. If you're listening to this podcast, you're most likely listening to us on our homepage at GumbyCatNetworks.com. If you want to keep up to date on all the new episodes as they come out, you can do so by finding us on online and list and uh, whitelisting us on your ad blocker and favoriting us on your web browser. But uh, if you're a, and, you know, while you're on Gummy Cat Networks, check out all, all of our other fine programming. Uh, we just premiered recently Dungeons and Dragon Types, the D&D Pokemon podcast that I DM. And we've also got all of Donna's stuff uh, with the Snarkcast, Once More with Feeling, uh, Beyond the Cabin in the Woods, um, The Family Business. Uh, we're also going to be getting this month's uh, Living in the Stacks out hopefully soon. Uh, we've all read the book, and now we're just all, we just got to schedule a time to record, and uh, yeah, so that should be out hopefully by the next by the next episode. But we'll see. Um, if you're listening to us on the go, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Spreaker, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, wherever your fine podcasts are listened to. And if you could give us a five star rating and review, let people know that you like the show and that they should check it out as well. That'd be great. Uh, you can also share us on your various social media. The, the social media home for Popcorn Junkie is facebook.com slash popcornjunkie. Uh, we're on Twitter at Corn Junkie Pod. We're on Instagram at Popcorn Junkie Podcast. Uh, Corn Junkie Pod on Letterboxd. Uh, you can keep up to date on all of my reviews there. And uh, I'm still catching up. I made it through December for Stardust. I'm Popcorn Junkie on Stardust. And I'm hoping uh, to work my way through till till now before the end of the month so hopefully uh, i'm gonna just try to take some time uh when i'm not busy and just record you know bop, 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 quick records um so i can get caught up and be back up to date so uh yeah and then there's anything else you want to say to me any kind of feedback you want to give any kind of suggestions you want to make you can do so by um uh emailing me at popcorn junkie podcast at gmail.com 
Uh, and if you want your uh, comment read out read on the episode, then you can do then just make sure you let me know in the in either the subject line or the message. Otherwise, I'll simply paraphrase. Or you can support the show on Patreon. As little as a dollar a month will get you. Um, hope you know as long as nothing goes wrong. Episodes early, as well as access to the ten initial um, episodes of Make a Better Movie and Munch Along. Uh, which is my attempt at a riff track style uh, commentary. And then I'm hoping to bring in, because this week has gotten me all jazzed up to do some discussions. And instead of doing them on the main show, I'm going to try and incorporate them into a new segment called Corn Talks. And I don't know how to do that yet. And and what I'm planning to do is, instead of off-the-cuff discussions, to do a planned out, like a TED Talk, but about movie-related stuff. So uh, that's, I'm hoping to get that out later this week. Uh, I just need to sit down and plan out what I'm going to talk about. So stay tuned for that. I'll make an announcement. The first one will be free. The future ones, if they come up, um, will come up on the Patreon. So, yeah, that does it for this week. Until next time, I'm John Bailey, and I hope you had a happy Valentine's Day weekend. Resernick the Hertog. The theme song for Popcorn Junkie is Funky Popcorn by The M. Look up Funky Popcorn by the letter M on SoundCloud for more of their music. Artwork provided by Nathio, N-A-F-Y-O. Look up nathio.deviantart.com for more of his artwork. her fantasy was to redo her biggest re- what I'm trying to talk about a bad movie and you're sitting here crying like a baby what do you want what do you want you're gonna keep being a butter can I go back to recording hmm tell me tell me are you done being a butt all right She's rolling on the floor now. I'm going to try to go back to recording. Having this centric movie, having this kind of movie where, especially if, it, quit interrupting me. Why you got to do that? What's the matter? Tell me. Tell me the things. Tell me what's the matter. Are you just bored? Are you just bored? Well, hold on. I'm almost done recording, then I can play. Okay? Okay? Pain in the ass, cat.